We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Will Sachs, CEO and founder of Fulcrum Venture Accelerator. Will studied engineering in college. He says he loved making things. He was also interested in creating environmentally sustainable solutions. His first company was Lumetro, which sold energy-efficient lighting solutions. Kindra came about after that when he fell in love and was introduced to using tech to help with fertility tracking. Kindra was acquired in 2019, and after that, Will started Fulcrum, a fundraising accelerator for mission-driven entrepreneurs. Will explains in this episode that all of the jobs an entrepreneur has to do, fundraising is the one you just can't delegate. Unfortunately, many entrepreneurs are not very good at it. So that's why Fulcrum exists. Fulcrum is now working with its seventh cohort to help entrepreneurs raise money. Will explains that getting funded is like dating as well as sales. It's all about doing your research, connections, and finding the right fit. The areas where Fulcrum helps is in storytelling, organization, and persistence, as well as identifying what he calls the intangibles, the energy behind the ideas and the people, right? While he's an engineer and businessman, Will is also a musician, and he has learned that tuning into how he feels when he meets someone new, whether it's to play music or to hire someone, has been key in making better choices. Now, let's get better together. Will Sachs, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jari. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Ah, appreciate you being on the show. I love talking to people in the venture world, especially accelerators. You are the founder and CEO of Fulcrum Venture Accelerator, which um, there's always a special place in my heart for people that are trying to help entrepreneurs accelerate their businesses. I think I've mentioned a bunch of times before on the show, I've been at two 500 startups in Launchpad Digital Health, got a lot out of both of them, learned a lot. um, And it was just a real enjoyable, stressful nutty experience that just would be the word I would use. Uh, Probably not as nutty, you know, Um, I'm sure Fulcrum's just, you know, got it all buttoned up like all of them do. No, definitely not. (laughs) Well, I'd love to talk more about that as we geek out on all this stuff. And, um, but, you know, before, before we get into that, as I always like to say, you know, I'm a boring guy. I only have really one question. I ask any fun. Um, Tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Yeah, well, it's a long story. Um, not sure where to start here, but I, I studied engineering in college and 
I fell in love with making things, like creating things. Uh, me and a bunch of guys built a solar powered race car and we raced it from Chicago to Los Angeles. And, you know, when we started working on that project, I stopped going to my classes and I would just be working on this solar car. And, you know, my friends would be making fun of me because they're like, oh, well, you're such a nerd. You're like, should be out of the bar. And instead I was at a helicopter factory trying to figure out how to build things out of composites. And Oh, I'm with you. I, I was engineering major, electrical engineering. Um, nice. I was mechanical. Yeah. But in, but in community college, we did a human powered vehicle race. Oh, we built yeah. the whole thing, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. So you was, know. I know. It's, it's like building stuff is the coolest thing ever. Like, right. how yeah. could you not want to do that? Exactly. So that was kind of the start of it all. And then, so we built this solar powered car. And then after college, I started a lighting company because I was really into the environment, still am uh, really into the environment and wanted to to, I, I saw this opportunity to replace every incandescent light bulb. It's like, if you replace an incandescent light bulb with a, an efficient light bulb, the ROI is something like 300% per year. It's like the best investment you can make. It's guaranteed. Um, so anyways, I started a lighting company and, and started doing that. And then, um, and then I fell in love and, and the woman I fell in love with introduced me to fertility charting. And that became a whole chapter of my life. We founded Kendara, which was one of the first uh, venture funded femtech companies and built that for eight years. And, uh, and then that sold in 2018. And when I was at the other side of that whole experience, I thought, well, now I, now I've learned a thing or two about entrepreneurship and I love working with entrepreneurs. I love the entrepreneurial spirit and the, the amount of possibility that exists in our community. And so that was the genesis of Fulcrum and, Created Fulcrum to help entrepreneurs uh, with a very specific skill set around fundraising. And uh, after raising a bunch of rounds at Kendara, I realized that fundraising is really the only thing as a founder that you can't delegate or outsource. And that a lot of founders fail just because they're not good at fundraising. Like I'm working with, you know, I'm working with a few right now who I love their business. They've got good traction. They've, for all, you know, for all reasons that I can see, they should be succeeding, but they just can't raise money. They're not good at raising money. And so they don't know how to play that game and do that dance. And so they're not succeeding. So anyways, long story short, we started Fulcrum with that mission of unlocking entrepreneurs' potential uh, through teaching them how to fundraise effectively. And we've now run uh, six cohorts and 100 companies through the program. Wow. And they've almost raised $50 million now. That's great. Uh, so so yeah. Plus. Now, now we're enrolling cohort seven. Well, by the time this airs, we will be probably. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the uh, at 500 startups, the one thing I got out of that, that was the best thing about it. You know, there was a lot of other things, but the best thing about it was pitch practice and gearing up to demo day, right. which just gave me a newfound appreciation for the art of the pitch and raising money. Um which is horrible for someone like me to try to do, <laughs> I guess, you know, I mean, tech founders, typically they're not focused on the, even the business side, right? Like, right. They're like yeah. product and technology. Yeah. And the way it, the way I, I'm curious to hear if this is your opinion of, of fundraising, this is the way it's always been explained to me. And when I've gone through it, you know, I've raised, I think a total of about $10 million total all over the couple of companies that I've worked yeah. at. It's, it's a B2B sales process. You have to run it like a B2B sales yes. process. That is one of, the, one of the most fundamental insights. And two, founders are horrible at that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm curious how you like how you frame it and how at Fulcrum you kind of go through the process because you have this program called Fundraising Mastery, which hey, who wouldn't want to master fundraising, right? Right. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting fundraising because it's unlike anything else. Like it is a B2B sales process. It's like that. It's also like dating. Some one of our mentors, I had a conversation with him uh a while back, Matt Harris. And he said to me, he's like, Yeah, it's kind of like sales, but it's also more like dating. Um, and I think that's true too. And then it's also different than both of those things. So it involves storytelling, it involves relationship building, it involves being really organized and diligent. 
like you're talking about with a B2B sales process. And it involves um, what I would call like energy, like the intangible, the intangibles. And, you know, if you've got just the intangible and nothing else, you might succeed. But if you've got everything else, but not the intangible, the success is not guaranteed. So we, we work on all of that in our program. So we identify when founders come in, like, what does this founder need help with? Is it their energy, their beliefs, their mindset? Like, does that need a tweak? Or if all that's strong, like maybe they just suck with keeping things organized and they, they have no, like they talk to an investor and the investor was like, yeah, I'm interested, you know, send me a deck. And then they just forget to send a deck and they never email that person again. So <laughs> it could be one. any one of those, any one of those elements of a successful race could be missing. And we've done this enough times now that we can identify what's missing and fill in the gaps for them. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's momentum is the way I would put it. Like, what's the momentum and how can you carry that momentum? And that could be market or your product or your traction. But the fundamental ingredient to your point is, can you tell a good story? Yeah. And can, I think... Yeah. yeah. And can you do it with the right kind of energy? Right. And the, and the engagement of the story is so important because you have to believe. Yes. And I think Paul Graham said, he's like, convince yourself and then tell others something like that, which, which I think is a great distillation of it. And you would think that as a founder, you would have already convinced yourself. But what I found is a lot of folks are convinced in the solution, the technical thing, but not in the th- actually someone buying the thing. Because I, I personally think best story wins hands down, like convince me otherwise is what I always say. Tell me why, you know, like your products democratize, everything else is like, you could build anything. It's getting above the noise and telling a great story. That's what lands the deal. I, I, I don't know. I'd love your thoughts on that because you've seen a hundred over or at least a hundred companies going through. What are sort of the, what are sort of the lessons that you've kind of taken from that, that other founders may be able to, I mean, don't give away all your secrets because of course we want people to join the <laughs> joint fulcrum. I don't have any secrets. I, I, I share everything. Now, yeah. The whole point, okay. The whole point is just helping founders yeah. get through this process. Um, right. So a few things there, like first on, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, I had something really nice. It'll come oh, back. It'll come back. It'll come back. <laughs> um, so what do I see? I see, oh, about, I got it, the certainty and convincing yourself first. So I think it's really hard as a founder who's doing this for the first time or even the second time to be convinced, to, to have full conviction that you're going to be able to build a company of the size and scale that you haven't done before. So it's this weird alchemy of mindset and stance to get yourself to a level of certainty that's not going to be a hundred percent because it's never a hundred percent. Even if you're Elon Musk starting some new venture and raising money, like he's not going to be at a hundred percent certainty that it's going to work. He's not even going to probably going to be at 90 um, or maybe even 80. So for all of us starting ventures, how, what level of certainty can we actually get to, you know, can we get to 75, 70% certainty? And then you got to take that 70% certainty and, and get really excited that you've got 70% certainty and that you, that you can answer every question that you get asked by investors. So that's just one point. You're not going to, it's hard for a founder who's doing this for the first time to get to hundred percent certainty. It's impossible. So you've got to get to the highest level of certainty that you, that it's possible for you to get to do your homework, dig in on all the hard questions, take feedback, and then once you've done that, you've done your homework, and then you've really got to sell the vision of what you see is possible in, in, in an uncertain future that you're not sure is going to unfold the way you think it's going to unfold. So that's one, that's one point. And then to your question about what do I see? Like, what are some of the patterns? Um, there's like founders who are straight up delusional and don't take feedback. So that's the thing. I've met those. I've met those. Yeah. Everybody has. Everybody has. Yeah. Right. So if you if you don't take feedback, if you get the same feedback from five people or 10 people, 
you know, you gotta, you gotta integrate it. You gotta take it seriously. And some founders will just say, you know, give me, we used to joke, like, give me a new customer or give me a new investor. But if everyone's saying the same thing, you're, you gotta look at that. Um, then there's founders who, like you said, are technical and they just aren't really good at stepping into the stance of sales or dating. So it's really hard for them to, to understand that they have to be the hype man or woman for their idea. And then, you know, usual stuff like going after the wrong kinds of investors, like people who should be raising from angels, trying to raise from VCs or people who are, have different structures of kinds of companies that are raising from the wrong kinds of investors. So that stuff is common. And then it's just like inexperience. Like that's why I started this because mostly people just don't know what they don't know because they haven't done it before. Like you've done it. So you know what it takes now. But if you remember before you did it, it was probably just hella confusing. Yeah, that's that's why there's gray hair in the beard. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm getting some now too. A little bit. Yeah, you get a little bit, you know. Um, yeah, no, it's that's really spot on. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that the term that I that, that people have always told me especially investors is is the founder coachable if there's if they're not coachable cuz this is such a hard job and it's so uncertainty and the margin of error i mean any i mean just imagine you're uh, what was the um you've heard of chebs the 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 test the company that helps you with homework i haven't heard of them well they're they're like a long time chebs guides to studying and everything and and literally they did a, I think it was this week that their earning their public company did their earnings report. The CEO that they had strong numbers, strong profit, or whatever. CEO says, Yeah, I think new customer acquisition is going to be a problem because chat GPT, p- kids are looking to chat GPT totally. to help them instead of us. Stock drops 30%. Wow. Like that. And wow. you're thinking, well, shit, this. And they've been around for a long time. There's like, I think decades right first in industry the whole thing and then for have that disruption like is a leader of a company as a startup like you have to deal with that and if you don't know the answer you better go find the answer because you just got right. you got <clears throat> sideswiped like it may not even be true right chat gpt as an example may not crush their business doesn't matter like what are you going to do about this and i think the founder that thinks they have all the answers, which is the common technical founder. Ah, you're right. Like I need a new customer. I need a new investor. No, you just need to listen. <laughs> yeah. That's a big part of it. I feel like the job description of entrepreneur is like, listen and change. And it's such a weird job for that reason. It's unlike, and I think that's what makes it stressful is the amount of uncertainty. And we're just not good with uncertainty as humans. Like we're we're wired to have certainty in our lives, to have a home that we get to return to and have things be stable. And like our nervous systems just feel better with that. And then whenever there's uncertainty, it kind of amps things up a bit. And the job of an entrepreneur is it's all uncertainty. Like this chat GPT thing is a great example. You know, we were just cruising along last summer, you know, and then all of a sudden the world changed. It felt like that. It I mean, felt, I remember the day I used ChatGPT for yeah, the first time. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. in my kitchen. I remember. Yeah. I remember. And I and I, it's like that took a few months to set to sink in, and it's still sinking in for me. But yeah, we we're like we're in 1996, and the internet is just that's what it feels like to me online. That's that's it's the same feeling as the computer revolution. It it feels more like the internet. Like oh my gosh, this is like the internet because it's going so fast and people are just, and it's even accelerating, which is the scary part. Right. It's like an internet that makes it its own internet. And the internet that's smarter than you (laughs) (laughs) actually, or smarter than you in certain things, faster than you in certain things, but you need to then be able to use the tool like computers. As an example, I give this, I give this analogy all the time. My, my dad used to work at United airlines as a, an engineer. They used to have these this job, which was called the job card writer. Their job was to translate what my dad told the mechanics and write it on a job card. Huh. Type, right? <laughs> when they got computers, when they got 
their first set of computers, like they didn't need these job card writers anymore. There's no, no reason like put in the computer. Right. But it took, I don't know, decade for them to like phase it out, but gone, like it's no more. So to your point, which is a valid one, being able to, to listen and change, like your job is to take it all in and then figure out the strategy. And if you're not comfortable with change, this is not the job for you. And if you're not comfortable being uncomfortable, this is not the job for you. <laughs> yeah. How do you, I mean, yeah. How do you think ChatGPT, you said you worked at a couple of accelerators. Like, how do you think ChatGPT is going to change this space? So what's going to happen is all of the sort of, Anything that's that's templatized or anything that's like a research thing, anything that can is like can be generated out of a pattern or a template or whatever, is just gonna immediately go to this, right? So, you know, I don't know if you ever used Canva. I'm sure you yeah. use Canva, right? Yeah. So what was great about Canva, right? As a as someone that's not a designer or anything, I could go in and build social media cards. A, a graphic or whatever, it didn't look, it was passable, but I could do it so fast that I didn't need a designer. I didn't need to hire creative to do it, right? This is the same thing with ChatGPT. I'll give you an exa- another example. I'm sitting there, there's this company, have you heard of make.com? Make.com? Yeah, make.com. No. It's a great, great name. I mean, everyone great that knows name. anything about Linux, make, you know, right? If you're an engineer. Well, it's this tool that allows you to automate stuff through APIs you know, could connect to any API. And it if you know anything about connecting to APIs, the, the documentation's horrible. It's just hard to do, right? And I, I've even got a technical degree and it's hard for me. So I'm doing this little experiment. I'm trying to hook this thing up, right? And like the documentation's horrible and I'm trying to search for it. I said, hold on, I'll ask ChatGPT how to do this. And I said, hey, can you and it said, oh, yeah, do this, this, and this. I go, oh, I never knew that. Okay. And then I had a bad like data format. I said, can you fix this data format? And it fixed it and it worked. So yeah. things like that, where it the answer, the way I put it is the answer exists. The format exists. It's a tactic. Full stop. This is just going to automate that. And you're going to amplify as a founder, as an example, you won't have to worry so much about the things that you have to research. The thing where it fails and falls down is in the strategy and what's in your head. It can't read your mind, right? So you're just going to spend more time on the strategy, on the messaging, how to tell the story, how to tell a story, how to build what you got to build. And you're just going to use this to augment what's already out there. How do you find a dislocation in the market? Well, you, you'll, you'll use this as an accelerator to your learning. It's not going to replace an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's just going to accelerate their learning, I think. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Like we're it's, doing so much of our program is now using ChatGPT. Like, oh, investor research. Oh, yeah, and that's Good a time-consuming thing that used to yes take a lot. Now it now it doesn't. Now you can get as many reps on that as you want for free. It's it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that's actually a really good point. The other thing I was doing is I have a book coming out in September. It's a memoir about my late wife and and her leukemia you know she died 6 years ago from leukemia and so i wrote this memoir about our journey mm. and what it was like as i was I was a founder running a company and then having to deal with being a full-time caregiver and so you know how how did i one how did i get through it and two what's sort of the resilience like how how do you build this resilience as a founder resilience is important in fact i'm actually working on a series of about res- founder resilience and I'm sitting there going, well, I want to talk about it on podcast, but I'm not like, what? What? Do, I don't know even know where to start, right? So then I ask, it said, hey, what podcast should be on for my book? And it says, oh, well, congratulations on writing your book. <laughs> like it's talking to me. And then it's listed all the ones I should go on. I'm like, wow, like that would have taken amazing. me hours, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. So I think it's that acceleration. Um, to your, you know, you're at an accelerator. I mean, how do you accelerate some of these tasks that you have to do and you just don't have time for, you know? Yeah. And I think it's going to up the game. Like 
you know, it, it can write emails to investors. It can give you ideas for how to write better copy on your deck and your executive summary, tell your story, you know, it, it's a super intelligence that can help founders get really good at this, but it's not going to replace the founder talking one-on-one to an investor and making that human connection. So it's cool to see how it's going to augment us and what, what it's going to replace and what it's not going to replace. Yeah, I don't think it's going to replace the strategic thinking and the ideation and the kind of your vision, you know? Yeah, it'll it, it's going to help augment that stuff. I bet you could ask it, you could type in, We have, I haven't done this yet, but this would be a good experiment to say, you know, for Fulcrum, for example, you know, we're a fundraising accelerator. We exist in this marketplace. Here's all the other top accelerators. Can you look at their strategy and tell us where there might be openings for us to to increase our market share. And then if everybody's doing that, it's, it's, it's kind of a, an exciting future to think about. Everyone is going to have this super intelligence. Yeah. And then it's going to arbitrage out. It's going to, the standards going to raise, right. And then it's going to be, how do you get above that? that and then that's technology won't save us again. That's no, what, that's what happens every time. Well, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember what, what they thought about the, the internet and once computers came about, the printer's dead. Printer's dead. No more, no one's going to print anything, right? Nothing, not anymore. Turns out people print a lot of stuff. They so printed the, more, I think it turned more. out. More. They yeah. printed more, right? So I, I think the thing that I've always just fascinated about by technology, because I just love this stuff, and I love the fact that people are so creative with it too. You know, it, there's a lot of challenges and struggles with it, and, and of course, a lot of legality. You got to like sort out. But you know, as a creative, as someone that wants to build stuff, what's beautiful is to have something there that can help you think through something that you may have missed and or accelerate your learning. I think of it as like learning acceleration. So yeah, back to the make.com example, like I'm building this little integration thing that I want to play with. I know what I want. I just don't know how to do it because it's complicated. So if I could get someone to help me with that, then I just like, I'm not as frustrated. It works. It feels better. (laughs) I just have an idea. Yeah. 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 So I'm a musician Yeah, and I've been wrestling with some, some of this technology that I've got with my setup. And I just realized like, oh, I need to be asking ChatGPT about this. Help me fix my main stage install. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, what 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 instrument do you play? Uh guitar, piano, some flutes, some cool. percussion. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you're like uh like Ron Burgundy <laughs> with the flute. <laughs> yeah. The rock flute. <laughs> I love that scene. That's classic. <laughs> and and like pretty cool. Like, right? It's like when Will Farrell did that with the drummer. Uh, from the red hot chili peppers like when they battle it's like you guys look like the same <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i haven't yet to do the like table stomping flute solo but hopefully that's in my future yeah cool so you in a band or anything or um yeah well we've been doing these live ecstatic dances here in nashville oh um, cool with a six to eight piece band oh neat yeah, so we get people to come out to dance and we we live improvise the whole thing. So I've got a bunch of musicians together and I explain to them, you know, what is ecstatic dance because it's not really a thing here in Nashville yet. Um and I explain to them that it's just all improvised. So then we practice we practice improvising and then when we show up on the day, we just improvise the whole thing and it's been really really fun. That's that's the one thing about like jazz in general, like that I respect a lot is the improv, the improvisation in the moment, like being able to like guide it, you know, I, I, cause I'm not very musical. I would love to be, but I just, for whatever reason, it just didn't resonate with me, but boy, can you really appreciate like the way it's going to go? Like if yeah. the flow, like, I wonder has the, has the music experience, how is that guide? How you, how you're an entrepreneur? Because what I like, I'm an author, right? I love to write. So yeah. I always say, you know, authorpreneurs, I always try to convince authors that, that look, you need to, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, they need to be entrepreneurs, right? Cause no one's going to read your shit until you tell them about it. Like that's, I mean, just honestly. Right. And 
I'm just curious if there's, if there's, does that experience and that sort of creative outlet guide how you approach things? Cause I've always yeah. found it so fascinating how so much. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I mean, music is such a teacher, such a teacher for me in terms of how to, how to be in life. So like a few of the lessons that I've learned is when I, when I jam with somebody, I can tell within the first 10 seconds, whether it's a match or not. And I feel like it's the same with hiring team members. So I used to, before I tuned into my sensitivity, maybe I used to make a lot of bad hires. I think everyone can, has had that experience. When you start hiring people, you make bad decisions. Then you look back, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I hired that person to do that job. Um, and then I got really analytical about it and started reading books on hiring and the who method. And um, that improved my hiring a little bit. Or actually, no, a lot. It improved it a lot, but it was still bad, I would say. Now, when I'm hiring, I pay attention to those first 10 seconds. And how does it feel to, to be with this person on a nervous system level? And, and then I just do a bunch of interviews and spend time with them and understand like, what's our music like together? Do we make good music together? And if we make good music together, then I can be confident that we're going to keep making good music together. And, uh, yeah, so that that's had a direct impact to how I how I hire and build teams. And then there's also just like what is the feeling of like in energy and fundraising, for example, what's the feeling of this interaction? Because in music, it's the same music is a language of emotion. So you're you can evoke all these different emotions based on what you're playing. And you're at choice. You get to choose what chords and notes you put together in order to create whatever emotion. And so in ecstatic dance, we have a set um, path of emotions that we want to take people through. And in an investor meeting, you, it's the same thing. You have, you, you got to take people through a set series of steps to get from the beginning to the end in any meeting, in any relationship. So it's really taught me a lot. It's storytelling one-on-one. Yeah, right. Music is storytelling, fundraising, storytelling, it's entrepreneurship all... and marketing, you know, writing books. It's, I think that's like, that's part of what our, that's our humanity is the story, the stories that we tell and right. that chat GPT is not going to replace that. AI is not going to replace that. It's so much, so core to who we are. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think, yeah, the root of everything is the internal feeling of the story you're trying to project in the world. And I'm fascinated about this idea that you talked about, about can we make good music together? Cause I think that vibe, it's almost unwritten. It's maybe an energy. It's like a, a feeling of collaboration. And I'm curious, like, what are those things? Like wh what are the traits of the good musician that you want to jam with and collaborate with? And it, I would assume it's similar to someone you want to work with, but it, it, it's just, I never thought of it that way. I, I, I tend to be like when I hire an interview, I just like, assume, you know what you're doing. I mean, I do like, I yeah. look, we'll does find out. out. Yeah, actually it yeah. does because we'll find out really quick if you don't. Yeah. But the thing that's intangible, that's not in a resume is like, how do we, how do we sit together? How, how do we hold uh, hold space? How do we hold space together? How, what's yeah. the you know? What's I'm the so, vibe? Yeah, what's the vibe? I'm how how is that? You know, like like you said within the first ten seconds, you know, if someone's gonna be a good musical partner. Yeah, what is that feeling, and how 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 would we apply that? I mean, again, I think it's like it, it's part aesthetics. I think it's like, do I enjoy? Cause, cause I'll, I'm putting something out. It's the same as a, like playing music with somebody when it's improvisational is a conversation we're improving right now. Um, and so I think it's like, do I enjoy being with them? Are they, when I put something out and, and they throw something back, am I pleasantly surprised by what comes back? And then does it inspire me to throw something else back? And so it's like, do we have a good conversation musically? or in the context of business, like what's the, what's, what's the give and take what's coming out and coming back. And what's interesting there that in, in that is like diversity. So 
it's there's a part of distinguishing between like are we on the same is, is the vibe that i'm sensing because we have a similar background and and we have the same kind of ideas about certain things or is there some other like deeper connection there so that's something to keep my eye on when i'm playing with people it's really just joy in music like it's so easy in music that's what that's what's funny is it's so easy and i've had so many musical dates where you can tell within 10 seconds it's not a match and then you've got another 59 minutes. Fifty-nine <laughs> <59. laughs> fifty. 59.50. 50. Yeah, 59.50. It's like when you show up on a blind date, you sit down and you just know, you're like, oh, oh this is not going to oh, go up. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I never thought of it. I like that. I like the... Huh. Interesting. God. And the thing about like the whole entrepreneurship world is there's so much posturing and mm. Mm. unconsciousness mm. and disconnection from from the people's bodies i think you know people are like really in their heads a lot in in this world and i think you maybe need some of that for like some of the, the engineering that gets done is complex and you need a lot of brain power to solve these problems but I think it's more just a bigger, broader problem with our society that I hope, I hope that the world of entrepreneurship gets more connected to the body and, and more tuned into the vibe of what's needed. Yeah. I think well, it's happening. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think, I think especially this generation coming up, Gen Z, millennials, not so much. I mean, a little, so I think it started with, so there's Gen X, which I am, right? Curmudgeon-y. You know, we grew up on say anything and you know, no one's the cavalry ain't coming for us. Right. Like. Go take care of yourself. Right. So there's yeah. a, we have a bit of a chip on our shoulder. We we hate millennials. We hate boomers equally. Like, but you guys are a bunch <laughs> of knuckleheads. Right. Then you look at Z's, right. The next generation coming up and then you've got alphas. But then but you look at. Gen Z and you see a bit of this. I don't believe you. I don't believe that the American dream or whatever dream is real because I don't see it. Y'all screwed it up. I mean, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. And the connection back to self, the connection back to like who we are as people and not so much of what we accomplish. Cause you know, my generation was all about accomplishment, depending on your, on, on your family of origin and your dynamic, both, Parents may have worked. You were a latchkey kid. You sort of fended for yourself. You ate Captain Crunch and watched reruns of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> you hoped the world was going to be <laughs> my childhood, essentially. So, but you, but I like to. I am of the opinion, and I'd love your thoughts on this: that entrepreneurship done right is a net positive for the world. It moves the world forward. I think it's the only thing that really can because it's creative. It pulls things together and done right. There's not a person on the planet that couldn't do it. And there's not a community on the planet that would benefit from it. And I think to your point about feeling the vibe, getting back in the vibe, that if it's for the right reason and making money's fine, making money's great. Like I'm not against that, but it's the why. It's like that internal thing in the center of your soul. You're like, what the hell am I doing this for? Yeah. Yeah. I I think I think it's I used to think of Kandara as an art project. And that if you think of entrepreneurship as an art, an art form, then it makes sense to me because the purpose of art is to open up our awareness and our consciousness and help us integrate new ideas into the culture and into our societies and civilization. And I think entrepreneurship does that same thing. It's like, you're, you're looking for the new and you're seeing the new and you're bringing the new into material form in the form of a company. And I think entrepreneurship can serve, you know, everything that we want in the world more compassion, more uh, connection, a sustainable world that we all get to benefit from. But it can also serve nefarious aims. Like if you're creating technology that shouldn't exist, 
then you're actually you're using it for you know in a way that I think doesn't take us where we want to go. And that's a, I probably need to think about that more because you can ask like, if it is art, should, should some art not be created? And probably, I know with technologies that technologies have politics and people don't realize this. And, and I took a class in college called the sociology of technology, which was one of my favorite classes. And our professor basically taught us that every technology has politics that by creating a technology you're making you're making certain things that people value easier and to do and certain things that people value harder to do and so you're you're actually changing things politically for everyone who comes in contact with your technology and that's important for people to know it's like if you're just cuz something can be created doesn't mean that it should be created and we're seeing that with ai right now some people are sounding the alarm being like, Hey, this is a runaway train. We, we should spend some time to think about this as a culture. Like what do we actually want to use this technology to do? And what do we want to be sure that it doesn't do? So, yeah, that's a good point. I, I like, I like the thought of some art shouldn't be created. And I, and I do agree that entrepreneurship's an art. I mean, there's science to it, practicality, but when you create something from nothing, you're an artist. Yeah. I mean, how else can you put it, right? That's the, and sometimes your creation is for the good of society. And other times it's the evil dictator that wants to crush it. <laughs> and if you have an ethos, right? An ethic, um, you'll make the call. I mean, I always tell people, you know, it's funny because I, when I was doing all my startups, I like to like work on, you know, mission driven, like things for doing for a reason, right? Like I want to help humanity and I don't want to like build the next bro app or the next merchant of death thing. Right. You know, I would never have worked at jewel, you know, vaping pens. Why? Like I could do anything in my life. Why make, why do that? And it's the harder path because it, because it's hard to find those things. And, um, it's a challenge because the, I don't know, society, ego, you know, I mean, I live in Silicon Valley, right? I know multimillionaires, billionaires, right? And you get a little FOMO and you get a little like feeling left out if you're not crushing it. But then you really think about it. Um, and what's really striking is what are you really doing it for? You know? And, and, and I had to come to terms with that. And I'm curious if you, you had to, when you've sold company, you know, you, how was that? Like, is, is it, was that the, I mean, did you feel like, ah, oh, wow. Yay. And then all of a sudden, ah, well, I didn't get rich from the sale of our company. <laughs> I, so, I, yeah, I, I feel you. You know, the, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, so it was a little heartbreaking because Kendara was a real art project. It felt like a, it felt like a, we were giving the gift of body literacy to women and men, and uh, and it's still doing that today, which is great. I'm I'm happy that it's still alive and uh, accomplishing its mission in some way. Um. But yeah, I think intention, intention is everything. One thing I I loved learning about Steve Jobs is that he he wanted the inside of the computers to be as beautiful as the outside. He wanted the whole thing from all the way through to be in an embodiment of the of his intention, which is to make technology simple and beautiful and easy to use. And uh and I think that's why, like Apple, is still like it, it, it endures. And so I think intention really matters. Um, and with Fulcrum, I think about that a lot because when you're running an accelerator, it's not the best business model in the world, as you probably witnessed at 500 startups. You know, um, so we can sometimes tend towards you know, thinking about our bottom line, but we have to keep coming back to the intention of, of it, which is to help human potential flourish, to help founders. That's the intention. And 
it's a challenge. Like you said, it's a challenge staying true to that intention and also running a profitable business because uh, I, I think just because the world we live in is not, th- those two things aren't necessarily inherently aligned. So you have to find the places of alignment. No, they're in conflict. I, I would say they're in conflict, maybe not direct conflict, but there is a tension. Yeah. I would agree. Tension. Because there's, there's on the one hand, the external trappings of success, the, Hey, I actually did something good. I got an exit. I can, you know, I know what I'm talking about, blah, 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 blah. Then there's the internal self-worth wrapped up in something that may or may not work, which is a hard thing to constantly fail and then one day succeed, right? Like you have to be in it for the long run. You, you have to have, I always say that uh, failure is an option, but never the end result. It's part of the the five tenets of the entrepreneur ethos. And I had to come to terms with that in a hard way because failure is a part of life. But if you can, if you, if you stop at the failure, then you don't know the learning and all these overnight successes. If you get into a you know dark room with them and you give them a couple cocktails and you say, so what, what's it really like? They're like, Oh, well, I got, I worked hard and got lucky. <laughs> like I'm not, that's, I'm not as smart as people think I am. And I'm all, Oh, really? So, Oh yeah. Come on. Come on. Look, look at, you know, then they would just rattle off these things that they got lucky on. And they're like, I just worked hard when the luck happened. And I'm all, Oh, yeah. interesting. I like that idea. Worked hard when the luck happened. I was ready for the luck and I'm all, yeah. Oof. Yeah, it's uh, somebody said to me, "Don't compare your your insides to somebody else's outsides." Yes, that's a very good way to put it too. And it's hard to do when you're an entrepreneur, especially in the valley where every every everyone seems to be crushing it. You know, I always yeah. say it's always you know rainbows and unicorns in in Silicon Valley until it's not. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's never, it's never, you're never crushing it. Right? You're crushing it until like you're liquidating or yeah. Right. Cause that's just, or, you have to, you have to have that optimism and positivity. It's, and I think there's something like when a company goes public. So if, if you're founding a company and then that company goes public, well, the public markets say that you have to prioritize the bottom line. You have to prioritize shareholder returns. You can't, you can't, lower prices so that more people can access your product very easily. Um, and so there is, like you said, there's a conflict there. And, and I think like the whole model of raise investor money, grow it and sell it has a, it has a, there's tension, like you said, between that model and the model of this is my art project. that comes from a pure intention to make the world a better place. And, and we're going to, we're going to make it sustainable by making it a business. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to do. Well, I mean, I loved our conversation. I really appreciate your time. It's great stuff you're doing over at Fulcrum. Good luck to you. Everyone should check it out if they're interested in doing that sort of stuff, because uh, it is always fun to be part of a group of people with common mission, trying to build stuff that matters. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Jari, super awesome combo. Really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thanks, Will, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Super fascinating and interesting to talk about what you're doing over at Fulcrum. And now, as promised, here are the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Will. Will says the conviction of the entrepreneur is vital, but also says nobody can ever get to 100% conviction. Instead, Aim for as much conviction as you can get to, say 70%, and work off that energy to get excited and share your vision. I think, yeah, 70%, sometimes 50-50, depending on what it is. I mean, there's no certainties, right? It's hard what we do. I mean, you're making something from nothing. It's going to be an issue and a challenge. You're not, you're not, you don't know what you don't know. So really, you know, ask yourself questions like, am I ready to go to the next level? Am I, is this enough certainty or for this particular stage we're at? I mean, because again, you can't ever get 100%. If you're going to go for perfection, boy, this is going to be a tough job for you. So Will says a common issue he sees are entrepreneurs who don't listen to feedback. 
If several people are telling you the same thing, you probably should listen. Yeah, uh, feedback, and the other thing I hear a lot is uh, coachable. Be coachable. And what does that mean? That means take the feedback, internalize it, and figure out how to make yourself better. So again, you know, using a sports analogy, the best sports teams are with players and coaches and the whole team where they're all coachable together and they like work as a unit. So think of it that way, you know, and also, you know, ask yourself questions like, Hey, I, uh, you know, how, how do I deal with feedback? What are some of the things that set me off? How can I get better at that? Because that feedback, that coaching is what's going to help you get faster up the curve, right? Because again, you don't know everything. You'll never know everything. That's the certainty. But you need to just learn faster than the next one, right? The next company, the next person, et cetera. Sometimes you need to put your analytical mind on the back burner and tune into what your senses or instincts are telling you. The classical gut feel, right? So I'm not saying do this all the time, but if you're not feeling right about something, I mean, you really need to check it out. More often than not, there's probably something there. I've kicked myself so many times for not listening to my gut and going into things that just weren't a good fit. So again, you know, hard to do. Sometimes you get all excited about stuff, but, you know, try to really, you know, step back and ask yourself, how do I feel about this person? What is it the interaction is going to be like? Am I, am I going to be happy doing this certain thing? Is this really what we should be doing, et cetera? So there you have it. The actionable insights from my awesome interview with Will. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.